politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots and Paul Revere's to the one and only Conservative Review podcast, your only source of truly independent conservative news, views, and analysis, and a revolution. I thank you so much for tuning in today. This is Daniel Horowitz back in the house. Um, and most of all, I'm thankful for this show because I get to peel away from that ridiculous Senate hearing with King Falky and uh, the other clowns, the CDC clown and a couple of other losers there. I know some of you have been watching the hearing along with me, and I was just about to throw up, and um, I, I just can't take it anymore. Uh, you know, you, you watch that hearing, and you get a sense of everything I've been griping about for the past decade. You have the chairman of the Senate help called the Help Committee, Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions, Lamar Alexander. You have the ranking Democrat, Patty Murray. You have Bernie Sanders on the committee. You have Fauci, who is Trump's top dog, testifying. And there's literally not a dime's worth of difference between all of them. Did you see the questioning between Bernie Sanders and Fauci? They agreed with each other. They sounded the same. You look at the Republicans, they're like a bunch of goobers, like a bunch of Teletubbies. Oh, go, go. They ask the most random questions that have nothing to do with the core public policy questions surrounding the science and the law of the public policy of what we're doing. Nothing about that. And then Democrats, whenever they get the microphone, they're just pounding away at Trump. Everything they are doing is deliberate. It's focused. It has an end game and it's to embarrass the president. Let me ask you this, friends. How am I supposed to be more pro-Trump than Trump is himself? This was impeachment 2.0, where they failed with impeachment. They are succeeding with corona fascism. Like I mentioned yesterday, Trump, by evincing the image of opposing corona fascism, yet at the same time implementing the worst forms of it under Fauci, as if he's not president, is getting the worst of all worlds. He will lose because of this. I just, I don't understand what I'm supposed to do with that. At some point, the buck's got to stop where it is. At some point, the excuses have to stop. At some point, my colleagues that call themselves conservative media figures that have much bigger platforms than I do although much less substance. <laughs> they need to call this man out and say, do you want to win or not? Do you want to lead or not? Do you want to provide a bold contrast on, on the issue of our time that matters or not? If yes, do it and have all your policies, personnel, and messaging reflect that. And if not, resign so we can get a new nominee. It's that simple. I mean, you see the pale pastels on display today. And by the way, it's like, just look at any one of my shows or articles, the amount of information you'll learn. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a mathematician. I'm not a doctor. But I study this hard. You listen to this hearing with the top government health officials. And what are you learning from there? From FDA, from CDC, from NIH? 
King Fauci himself. What are you learning? Did you learn anything from it? They're not asking him about any of the pressing, vexing questions. When did this begin? How long was it spreading in December, January, and February? What percentage of the population has it? How many are asymptomatic? What are the true fatality rates when you factor that in, stratified by age? What do you have to say that over 50% of all deaths are going to be in nursing homes and mainly in New York City? I mean, that's not even a partisan question. That's a typical question I ask every guest I have on the show. What happened in New York City? I mean, basic questions. I listened to the first hour and 40 minutes. I just couldn't take it anymore. Because I wanted to give you the most up-to-date information, but there's no information to even report. Basic questions they're not asking. They're starting off from premise number 10 that basically we have like a 100% kill rate and we need to... I mean, I mean, Lamar Alexander, every second, the road to opening work in school is tracing, tracing, and testing, tracing, and testing. They won't talk about antibody testing, but the PCR testing and this contact tracing. And it's mentally ill. What world are they living in? We have reams and reams of hard data now. Debunking everything they're saying. They talk about schools and, and Fauci basically intimated that forget about the rest of this school year, which is almost ending, but even come August, September. I mean, this is very dicey. That's what he said. No, no senator so far has even asked him. I mean, some of the better ones, Cruz, Cotton, Paul, hopefully they'll step up to the plate. Ron John, they haven't come on yet. All the senior senators are, are just horrible on the Republican side. And Patty Murray just savages Trump. And Lamar Alexander's like, thank you so much, Mrs. Murray. She People need to know that this is a real bipartisan committee and we disagree respectfully. I mean, it's like he thanked her for trashing Trump. Like, again, I can't be more pro the man than he is himself. This doesn't make any sense. But it's like with the, with the schooling, they didn't even ask Basic questions like, dude, there's zero risk to kids. I mean, go back. I was researching just random articles. See, random, one of the best things to do is look at random news articles or CDC studies or other private studies before this became political about infectious diseases, the flu season, and you'll see a real science before they politicize it. And they talk all the time about children dying from the flu. More, more children, there's debate about adults, but certainly with children, everyone agrees, including the CDC, more children die from the flu than from, from this. Yet we never talked about closing schools. And then as far as them transmitting it to adults or vulnerable populations, so we now have studies from almost every European country that's now opening. Hey, CDC, do you disagree Redfield, CDC director, Fauci, any senator want to ask him, do you guys disagree? If so, where's your data? Hey, CDC, with the tens of billions of dollars, have you done serology surveys testing the prevalence, the asymptomatic rates, the the stratified risk per age and health status? What have you learned about it? 
What have you learned about transmission rates and viral loads? What have you learned about the threat of a child transmitting, children transmitting to adults? If they don't have that data, if they didn't conduct that, then let's abolish the CDC. What exactly are they, are they there for? Basic questions. I don't have fancy degrees, but maybe that's why I ask these questions. But this is part of the broader problem. Is Trump president or is Fauci president? And what exactly is Trump's agenda? Shouldn't we know that now? Because frankly, you know, I kept talking about how we need to improve the modus operandi of Trump's messaging, his personnel choices, his endorsements, what, what Republicans in Congress do in order to have a better second term. But at this point, you ain't going to have a second term. It's not going to matter. It's moot. So he's may as well nominate someone else. This is what I don't understand. This is what I don't understand. See, this is the very thing we have suffered from under typical Republicans that prompted people to run into Trump's arms for salvation. The fact that at every turn, at every time we have an existential crisis, when the Democrats are pounding the lectern, pounding the pavement, inexorably pursuing their agenda. Republicans not only don't stand in the way, they actually join with it, echo it, facilitate it. They help it. They serve as a false flag to get blamed so we get the worst of all worlds where, you know, at least if Democrats were all in charge, they would get blamed and we could throw them out. But here, officially, Republicans are in charge. They get blamed for what the, for, for what the left is doing and the outcomes that they're doing. We were sick of that. That's why people wanted a fighter. I want a fighter. I want a fighter. I want Trump. Okay, so they, they, they nominated him. Why is it that we now have everything that we ever hated about the Republican Party on steroids from the same Republicans that he, by the way, endorsed, as well as from his own administration? And sometimes his own talking points every other day. At some point, outcomes have to matter. I'm sick of the excuses. Oh, Fauci controls Trump. This guy, uh, this is not his fault. I'm sick of that. At some point, outcomes need to matter. You know what we are as conservatives in this country? As really everyday Americans left behind by this broken, wretched, globalist, elitist governing class in Western countries that are very much endemic of this scientific, technological Industrial complex, as Eisenhower warned about. We're like an abused wife that got beaten up for years by, by a bad character. Finally leave the guy, and you run in the arms of a guy that seemed loving, bought you presents and flowers every day, spoiled you. Man, this is going to be a great life. And then one day, shortly after the wedding, you're walking, and suddenly the guy's fist just flies out. Into, into your face. She's there on the ground, bleeding in pain. It's like, I, I can't believe you just did that. And, you know, she's conjuring up all of the P PTSD of, you know, what happened her entire life. Deja vu all over again. There's no way this is happening to me. Under this guy? The love of my life? I mean, can't be. And the guy's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I I, I just tripped. I just I just tripped, um... 
and my my, my arm just flung out. In fact, I, I actually risked breaking my own bones, falling in an awkward way, so the impact wouldn't hurt your face as much as it could have. <laughs> okay? So they're walking again a couple days later. Happens again. This time a tooth gets knocked out. Well, you don't understand. I, I just just tripped. The arm just flew out. I mean, it's not my fault. I I, I really I love. He, here's some flowers. And, and really, you know, if, if I wouldn't have tried harder, you would have been dead. So the missing tooth is just kind of a, you know, that's just that that's that's a drop in the bucket relative to what would have happened had I not been with you. And it keeps happening. And at some point, you'd say, well, I don't know what your game is. I don't know what you are, what you're about. If you're a klutz par excellence, or if you're a con artist, or you're whatever. But the result, the outcome we are having, is worse than anything we could have ever imagined under under any other circumstance. So at some point, I don't give a damn as to the why and the how of the Trump administration. I just know the what. The what is happening. What we are suffering now is worse than anything we ever dreamt of in a normal universe under the worst Democrat president. So if at, if at this point you cannot counter this agenda, and again, this is a long-term agenda now. They have sunk their teeth into this. This is the holy of the holies. The, the left found their issue that psychologically they could manipulate people to achieve every anarcho-tyrannical outcome they ever wanted to do but failed to do. They got it. They got it in a truncated period of time, and it's going to be the gift that keeps giving, the golden goose that keeps laying that egg, which is why you're seeing Twitter and Facebook announced, Twitter announced yesterday, they're going to have a function to flag any false COVID information. Not, not just generic false information, but specifically false information about COVID. Now, obviously, everything Fauci has said has been false. Remember when they said every city is going to become New York City? How come they never get held accountable for that? But they're always on to the next thing. But there's a reason why the media is doing what they're doing, why Twitter is doing what they're doing. Because we are in an information war. Every one of my articles... 5, 10, 15 other people doing this aren't many. Shed such light on what is going on. And they cannot allow that to come. See, if we were just like a bunch of pathetic like whiners like, oh, you know, Fauci's a duty head and whatever. And like, we don't have any substance to what we're doing. You know, if we're really just a bunch of fake news, they wouldn't need to be censoring us because the market would do that. You had 1.4 million hits on my article. When did coronavirus start and why it matters? We'll get to that. From March 24th. There's a reason because it's a very stimulating question. It's the most important question. But that's where we are. And folks, this is why it's so important we share stories to debunk what's going on. What is going on on the ground? So I need you guys to go to Harwood Citizen Sanctuary, our public page, as well as if you want to sign up for our private page. I know a lot of you have day jobs and you're scared of being caught you know, on, on a conservative page. So if you go to uh, Minutemen Speakeasy is our little get-together tavern until they shut us down where you could share good information, 
And again, I really need you guys to keep the lights on here. Just three more days left to our once-in-a-lifetime subscription discount. $69 for an entire year of Blaze TV content. You go to blazetv.com forward slash CR. And you can just type in promo code Daniel. Promo code Daniel to get $30 off. It's normally $99. It's $69 for an entire year of content. And look, my entire network from the corporate management down to all the show hosts like Steve Dace and everyone else, they are all on board with our research, our messaging. And this is this is the only place I could do this. It's getting censored everywhere. We need the Paul Revere's. The long ride of the night. Concord and Lexington, the Redcoats are coming. Manifest digitally in an information war these days. That That's why it, you know you're over the target by the blowback you get. You know which dog you hit by the one that growls. And that's the thing. We know the biggest fight. You know, in, in, in Tora Bora and some of the battles they had where Bin Laden escaped, you knew where Bin Laden was by the fierceness of the fight. And you know where the truth lies, that we are coming close to it when they need to start really going nuts about some of our stuff. So a lot going on there. But again, there's nobody, nobody. Why have a Republican Party? Why have a Trump presidency if they can't stand up against this stuff? I woke up today, you know, very tired. It was the, the baby was up a lot in the middle of the night. I don't know how my wife does it because she was certainly up a lot more than me. But anyway, so my eyes were sort of swimming, and I looked on my phone. I looked at CQ, you know, con- Congressional Quarterly, and the hearing schedule, and we knew we had the Fauci hearing at the Senate uh, Health Committee. But then I saw that the Judiciary Committee was holding a hearing on – what what it almost looked to me the words for a second because my eyes were swimming, liberty in the era of a pandemic, and I was like, yes, they're finally doing it. They're calling in you know law professors and and saying hey, you know maybe some other state officials and really delving into what Congress can do to clamp down on the corona fascism, the violations of the first, fifth, uh, even sixth and seventh amendments and fourteenth amendment, and then I. Looked again and it said liability, not liberty. It was like liability for businesses opening. I'm like, that's the vexing issue of the Senate Judiciary Committee controlled by Republicans? I mean, folks, I, I, I don't understand. This is the end of the rope. This is the end of the line. This is the end of the cliff. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. It's not like, well, let's stand down on this battle so we win an election and do this. Or it's all hinging on, on depending on, on the next election. We have to win the next. No, this is it. This is worse than any November election. I don't care anymore. And frankly, they're, they're going to crush it anyway because of what we're failing to do. And also because they'll get in all the mail-in ballots and they'll win that way. Like at some point, you got to think beyond this, the, you know, the, the, the typical once every two years, Who's going to win? Who gets more seats? And then you go to sleep for the next two years as Republicans screw us. You know, you come back a year and a half later. Well, the most important election of our, our, of our lifetime. At some point, you got to think beyond that. And if I can't make people see the light, then I need to make people feel the pain. And at some point, 
it might be better if Democrats win. Now, the only problem with that is that we're going to have to deal with this slow bleed of Democrats de facto in charge, but officially Republicans being in charge and getting blamed until November. And then they then they win in November. And then we have to start the recovery then where people have a revolution and fight back. But if you had an election today and we're able to get it over with, tell me where I'm wrong strategically. Because this is the problem. He's getting blamed. That's why the BBC is now trashing the lockdown. Because they're pinning it on Boris Johnson. They're going to do the same thing with Trump. But anyway, we had a huge revelation late yesterday. The Ohio Department of Health, Dr. Amy Action, director, announced that Ohio, based on serology tests, and this is why they're so important. Oh, and by the way, the more important something is to discovering the truth, the more it's like inaccurate. Serology tests evidently don't work. Antibody tests don't work. Just remember that. But they discovered in Ohio six cases now that they have calculated based on the timing of transmission and symptoms that began in January, the first January 7th. That's now the earliest known case here. And again, we know it's been there earlier. We know it's likely there in in December because we know that now from France and, and, and Sweden, we have a heck of a lot more travel than... Uh, from China and elsewhere than those countries do. And Ohio certainly is by no means anywhere near the top of the you know biggest air travel hubs in, in, in America. So if it was in a state like Ohio as early as January 7th, you could sure as bet, sure as anything bet, it was in Texas, in Florida, in Georgia, and certainly New York and California um, and Boston earlier than that six cases in five different counties this is just a sample and folks i mean the cdc wrote years ago years ago when they talk about the mitigation efforts for a flu they say that the quote the effectiveness of pandemic mitigation strategies will erode rapidly as the cumulative illness rate prior to implementation climbs above 1% of the population in an infected in an infected area dude now that we know this was spreading this is a joke and now that we know most are you know you can say well daniel we didn't really see it that much well we'll get to that in a minute what we saw and didn't see i mean the new york city level yeah we that that was unique in march we didn't see that before i'll admit that and we still don't know what what you know exactly what happened there when and why but in other states, it's more murky. You go to the CDC website, and you could look at um, excess deaths. They have like a, a trend line, and you could do state by state, dating back the last three, four years. And you'll you'll see remarkably in every state, you have the peak where you have above baseline excess deaths in January 2018. That was the big flu season, the biggest one we had in a decade. And then you see to some degree now, and they have it basically through most of April which is most of the peak for almost everyone, or all the peak. Now, some of the data may be incomplete. I don't know yet, and that's a little bit of a caveat. Obviously, a state like New York is going to blow it out. But you look at most other states, it's either only a little bit above 2018, or states like Florida and Texas are downright below. The trend line of excess deaths are below January of, um, of 2018. Ohio is roughly the same, a couple of spikes. So, 
a lot of this could could have been COVID dressed up as the flu or, or pneumonia, like we said from day one in January and February. But what's important is that we now know so much of this is asymptomatic. And if it's asymptomatic, then clearly it was spreading for a long time. So the mitigation is a joke. CDC said this before it became political. Like they said a lot of things, like Fauci himself said everything we're saying before this became political. But what's fascinating is, you look back to the Dayton Daily News, they reported in February, quote, nearly 1,200 Ohioans were hospitalized from complications to the flu from February 8th to February 15th. And that, quote, some doctors said it has been the worst year they have seen in a decade. Another doctor said the Miami Valley, this is a Western Ohio, was, quote, particularly hard hit in February. Well, that's one of the areas we now know where they at least had an early case in January. Other news outlets noted a 36% increase in flu hospitalizations during the final week of, of January. So that's the joke here. This is the joke. Today, I chronicled in a piece, defined, confined, or perfect random samples of populations where we have clearly, clearly more than 50% and sometimes near 90% asymptomatic. Okay? Asymptomatic. And that doesn't include a lot of the mildly symptomatic that come nowhere near near the level that you would think of going to um, to the hospital for. So that's extremely important. So I I I I, I have this in one piece. The piece is titled "We Now Know That the Majority Who Contract COVID Nineteen Are Asymptomatic." That changes everything. And I note the 72% for the Diamond Princess, 60% USS Theodore Roosevelt, um, about half on the Charles de Gaulle. All the numbers in the prisons were anywhere from three quarters to 100% were asymptomatic. A study of pregnant women in labor um, tested by Columbia University, um, 215 women, where um, 79% were asymptomatic. Of those who tested positive, meatpacking plants where we see a similar thing a homeless population um you know in in Boston where we saw um about 87% were asymptomatic and yes even in nursing homes we're seeing places where half or so are asymptomatic you know and then obviously we had yesterday the major league major league baseball serology test that also found about 70% asymptomatic among those who tested positive so folks there there are a number of enormous public policy implications about 5 of them that arise from this and why are we not upgrading and modifying our understanding of this based on the hard data we're now seeing see initially they were using the asymptomatic thing 
to push lockdowns. It's not like we're reinventing the wheel. They said the same thing when they thought it helped them. Because they were basically saying, no, you need to lock down everyone. You don't understand, Daniel. This is different than any any other time where we only quarantine the sick because anyone could be carrying it asymptomatic and um, and therefore you're going to infect other people. But And that's a true statement, but it's only true if the number of asymptomatic are, they might be significant, but they're still a minority, not the majority. And we're at the beginning of a transmission phase that you could actually stuff it in the hole and a lockdown would help. But now that we see the opposite is true, now that we see that the overwhelming majority of those infected are asymptomatic, so it's the majority of them, often the overwhelming majority, it grows to a super-duper majority if you add the mildly symptomatic to them. We also therefore know, connected to that point, that the fatality rate is much smaller and very confined to a known population. So at that point, then it makes no sense to lock down the younger and healthier because we now know most are asymptomatic, mildly symptomatic, or aren't going to die from it. So then you want them to spread it around and you just lock down those who are vulnerable, whether they contracted it or not, obviously. And then also, like I noted, that would only work, this is where the timing comes in, when you're at the beginning of the phase. When we did this in late March, it was, according to everyone, way too late. Because now we see there are signs of a spread in January, clearly, but certainly in earnest in February to trigger what happened in March. So when we decided to do it, it wouldn't have helped anyway. It's too late. It makes no sense. This whole thing makes no sense. Then there's another important thing, which is now that we know this has spread so far and wide for months and months, and most are asymptomatic, there's no justification for releasing prisoners. Their whole thing is, you don't understand. This is going to spread and everyone's going to die in prison. Well, now we know it already did spread and everyone already had it and most were asymptomatic. Because again, what that tells us is this is not nearly as deadly as you thought it was. And just the opposite, by you releasing them, you're going to take mainly asymptomatic, younger, healthier prison populations and you're going to spread them to the general population where they're more likely to come into contact with a more vulnerable person. It makes no sense. This has gotten so bad, we saw that um, two punks in an L.A. uh, prison were caught trying to transmit the virus to each other as a pretext for getting out, which shows you the irony. Clearly, they're not worried about dying from it. And then there's this contact tracing that they keep talking about. What are you going to trace when 50 million people might have already gotten it and most are asymptomatic and we're months into this? This is mentally ill. Utterly mentally ill. It makes no sense. But here's, here's what we have. Article yesterday. Seattle Times, to reopen Washington State, restaurants will have to keep a log of customers to aid in contact tracing. The governor released Monday a set of requirements that restaurants will have to comply with if they want to reopen. And um, eight counties have been cleared for phase two, which allows restaurants to reopen at 50% capacity, caps table size to five. Um, And one of the 13 criteria is that the restaurants will have to adhere to is that 
they have to, quote, create a daily log of customers and maintain that daily log for 30 days, including telephone, email, contact information, and time in. How is this constitutional? For years, they told us there's a right to privacy in Griswold to kill your baby, for a mother to kill an unborn baby. It seems like that's the only privacy you have. What in the world? Where's the Republican Senate Judiciary Committee? Where's the White House? This is mentally ill. We're focusing on the entire country when we still don't even focus on the, on, on the nursing homes properly. This is unreal. And then finally, there's two other important policy implications now that we know that so many more than we even thought were asymptomatic. So here's the deal. There are now, I I cite in my article, a very interesting study, a simulation done by European, American, Brazilian researchers, very comprehensive, very respected researchers, that they note that, quote, heterogeneous populations require less infections to cross their herd immunity threshold than homogenous models would suggest. In other words, typically we hear that you need 70% herd immunity, either through getting the virus, through a vaccine, um, in order to uh, protect people, in order to basically eradicate the disease. But what they note is that that's only true, let's say for something like measles and mumps, where I'm sure each virus, including those, have certain vulnerable populations, but in general it's very homogenous what the, the the population that is uh, attacked by the viruses are very homogenous. It's across the board. It, it's uniform. So you need a uniform spread to protect people. But this virus we know is very heterogeneous. It's extremely lopsided. It's elderly people and mainly elderly with, you know, heart conditions, diabetes, and a couple of other pulmonary disorders, some other things, questions about neurological. But the deal is, according to their study, what comes out, they note, is that if you actually do a stratify and shield model, a risk stratification, and let everyone else go out normally, you could actually achieve herd immunity with 10 to 20% of people getting it, which would mean we're much closer to it. The point of the asymptomatic is now we know that you could achieve that so much quicker and on the cheap with low risk without even having as many hospitalizations. You could achieve it through the asymptomatic. That's another important policy implication. And then finally, I note that another very important thing we have here, which is the death count. The death count is bogus because now that we know that even in nursing homes, a good percentage who get it are asymptomatic, certainly mildly asymptomatic. As I noted yesterday, yes, there's no doubt among those in nursing homes, the fatality rate is exponentially higher than among the general population. And undoubtedly, many are dying of the virus. But it's equally certain that a good number of them, like anyone else, do get asymptomatic cases. Maybe 
a less of a percentage than the younger population, but still pretty significant. You mean to tell me anyone who tests positive, including those who have an asymptomatic case, and then they die over a period of two, three months of this epidemic, when, I mean, it's something like thirteen to 15,000 die in nursing homes a week, so you're easily going to get over 100,000 deaths for the duration of this. You mean to tell me we're not roping in any of those typical deaths to COVID? There's no way we're not. There's no way we are not. It's abundantly clear. Now we know that, that Dr. Burks agrees with that, according to the Washington Post. So that's the big thing, because until this, I could have told you, look, you know, anyone who's... Any, any senior who gets it gets a serious case. But it's not necessarily true. Percentages are higher, but they still get milder cases and some still get asymptomatic. So how in the world are you going to tell me that that's a COVID death? I mean, again, this is the stupidity. Um, What's his name? Uh, Fauci was out there saying how he was agreeing with Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders says, isn't it true that there's excess deaths and really the death count of COVID is higher? As much as twice as much. So Fauci's like, I don't know if it's twice as much, but I definitely agree it's more. Oh, in New York, with all the chaos going on, people are probably dying at home. But it's like, how dare you do that? You're using the lockdown deaths, the excess deaths. We proved this from Oregon, which had a tiny number of COVID deaths. So you can't tell me they're overrun and people aren't coming to the hospitals because of that in Oregon. And they had twice as many excess deaths from across the board as from COVID. So... It clearly was from Fauci's lockdown of heart patients. I mean, now we see organ transplants. AP had an article of the nosedive of organ transplants that have taken place. That um, basically the, the number of um, donor transplants dropped by about half in the U.S. and 90% in France from late February into early April. They drop by half. You know how many people are going to die from that? Do you know how many people did die from that? The cancer, the heart, the, the I mean, all the data that Dr. Atlas provided with um, stroke patients. That's who's dying. It's because of the lockdown. It's the lockdown deaths, and they're putting into this pile. And then they refuse to, refuse to recognize on the other side of the ledger how anyone who they just deem presumed even without a test as dying from COVID, they count. And then anyone who tests positive from COVID, even if they died from, quote, clear alternate causes, according to the Illinois health director, they, they code that as a COVID death. And in the nursing homes, again, we have, you, you, you want to do the math, roughly 2.8 million people die on a given year. Okay? that That's the mortality in America. You divide that by 52 weeks you get about 54,000 deaths a week. Typically, 54,000 people die in America a week. Let's say this, you know, eight-week duration of this thing we're dealing with. That's 430,000 deaths. So remember, 430,000 will always die, no matter what. And we know that roughly 25% of those will be in senior care facilities. Okay, over a hundred, maybe one hundred ten thousand or so. It's very, it's very, very crude back of the envelope math, 
Don't quote me on that, but it gives you an idea. Just doing the rough averages of a typical year, how many people typically typically die. Most studies say 25% are in nursing homes and, and long-term uh, senior care facilities. Those are very large numbers. When you're telling me you are not confirming almost any of these people in autopsies, and we now know that the fatality rate is so much lower and so many are testing positive because this is so far and wide and has been for months. And yet so many are asymptomatic and mildly symptomatic. But yet, I mean, in, in other words, you have 430,000 people that are going to die no matter what over this period of time from a myriad of different things. Old age to a certain amount will unfortunately die even younger from tragic circumstances. And certainly very pronounced among nursing homes. You mean to tell me that those deaths only hit people that test negative? No. A good percent. I mean, now that we know this is so ubiquitous, a good percent of the population is going to be positive for COVID, especially in, in, in areas like New York. New York is the opposite. They're really, now that we know serology, and I'm sure the numbers have gone up, which is why they stopped publicizing it because it kept going up. But last check it was at 25% of the entire great city of 8.4 million or so. Had it, 25% had the antibodies. So, dude, I mean, (laughs) how many of those people are going to die? Just are always going to die. They they die anyway. It's their time to go. The angel of death. Well, they had a positive test. Every one of those, every one of those is going, going to be coded as a COVID death. And you mean to tell me we are undercounting? There's a guy, Scott Jensen. He's a state senator from Minnesota. He's also a doctor. He posted um, on his Facebook page, I think this is from a constituent of his, we just received my mom's death certificate and it states that the underlying cause of death was presumed COVID-19. My mother was 91 years old and in the final stages of her Alzheimer's disease and was never tested for COVID. I can't help but wonder how many other reported COVID-19 deaths have similar circumstances and that was the opposite that was a case where she wasn't tested but what i'm saying is even when they are that's what the asymptomatic revelation in the numbers makes such a huge difference such a huge difference and how do you know i'm right about new york city reuters just yesterday The number of deaths in New York City from causes other than COVID-19 rose by more than 5,000. So, according to CDC. So, CDC is blatantly saying what I'm saying. No, there's excess deaths are not from COVID. The deaths could be due to several factors, the CDC said, including delaying and seeking or getting life-saving care for fear of exposure to the coronavirus. Between March 11th and May 2nd, 32,107 deaths were reported to the department. Of these, 24,172 were found to be in excess of the seasonal norm. This included 13,831 laboratory-confirmed COVID-19-associated deaths and 5,000 probable COVID-associated deaths. And again, the laboratory doesn't mean in a lab it was proven they died of COVID. It was proven that they tested positive for it. They say that means that 52,903, 52.93, or 22% of the excess deaths were not identified as being associated with COVID.
So if anything, the exact opposite is true. But this is where we are, folks. We need to fight to the death. Where is the bold contrast? I put out seven demands yesterday that the president must make of the states, that he will veto any state funding bill. You saw it. Governor Gavin Newsom from California, he's asking for a a, a trillion dollars for the states. Nancy Pelosi's introducing a bill, $750 billion. By the way, notice how lockdown Larry and Cuomo started with $500 billion, and then they upped it. See, unlike Trump, Democrats actually know the art of the deal. One of the things Trump wrote about in the art of the deal is you always ask for more than you think you're going to get. And that's what's so smart about them. So now they'll wind up even getting more than 500. They'll call it even at like 600 or 650. Call that a compromise. But I note that Trump needs to attach conditions. If you're getting funding, you have to ban Corona fascism, right? And he has to have specific parameters of what they cannot do to individuals and businesses using their Section 5 14th Amendment authority of Congress to enforce the provisions of life, liberty, and property. They need to ban contact tracing outside of nursing homes. They need to ban the use of drones to spy on people. The, 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 the money needs to be structured not as a bailout, but narrowly targeted reparations. Don't just throw money for free welfare and food like they have in my county where they're giving three meals a day to wealthy people. Only pay money to those that weren't shut down, to those who are shut down. Those individuals and businesses and nothing to anyone else who's not not suffering. Obviously, they have to condition, condition the funding to no release of criminals. Need to ban judges from releasing illegal aliens. And of course, of course, of course, no state or city should get any funding if they are not cooperating with ICE on criminal aliens. Where's the vision? Why am I the only one pushing this? You tell me how we will ever succeed with this Republican Party. But for now, it's incumbent upon anyone who has their voice with the White House not to be like, oh, I don't want to lose my influence. Oh, I'm too scared. By the way, I hear this all the time, just so you know. like, If you're wondering, what is the thought process of people that um, have a bigger name than I do, why they are not being more aggressive? It's this. It's, it's, oh, well, look, if I just burn them down, then, you know, I'm not going to lose my influence. So in a vacuum, I get that. Like anything else, you pick your battles. But dude, if you're not going to pick this one as your battle, what the hell is the battle you will pick? When? Where? What's worse than this? What has ever happened in our lifetime that's worth fighting for more than this? It's a fraud. This whole thing is a fraud. Folks, President Fauci or President Trump, which one is it? It's time to pick. Anyway, go to our Minutemen Speakeasy, Hurwitz Citizen Sanctuary, public private pages. If you have stories that you are dying to share with us, um, you could share it in our public page as the Citizen Sanctuary, the Minutemen Speakeasy. Speakeasy is in a tavern. That is our private page. Um, it will only be uh, viewed by our members. We have a few hundred members now, and hopefully we'll grow that. This is how you will help me disseminate information, get it out until my voice is silenced. But again, if you don't want my voice silenced, I need you to go to blazetv.com forward slash CR. Get your year's subscription of all Blaze TV content. Entire year, 
69 bucks, only three days left to this deal. Promo code Daniel. Thank you so much, guys. See you tomorrow. Mm-hmm.